0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Ben Hager. Ben is the head of the Autonomous Driving and Software Engineering Group at DSpace Inc., DSpace is a team of engineers, programmers, project managers, and business developers that are responsible for helping their customers solve the challenges of autonomous driving and validation testing at scale. So we're talking automated driving, but really support services and products to assist the companies who are developing automated and assisted and autonomous driving solutions and put it. so, so DSpace, you're, you're very, you're definitely familiar with the company if you're in the industry. If not, it, you'll I think really enjoy this discussion about kind of how they're in the background, behind the scenes, providing the support so that the companies who are developing these automated driving solutions can put them into the field quicker, more effectively, more reliably, all, all these things. Fun discussion here with with Ben covering a wide range of topics in, in the field. So I'll leave it there for now. Please enjoy this conversation with Ben Hager. Today I'm joined by Ben Hager. Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Brandon.
0: Yeah, this will be a different perspective on a lot of the topics that have uh, been covered in this this podcast. So I'm I'm looking forward to this and kind of a I don't know, coming from DSpace, People in the industry are definitely going to recognize that that name. Some outside of the industry, I imagine, will will not. Um, so. <laughs> Maybe if you wouldn't mind kind of kicking things off, could you, could you just introduce yourself a bit about, I guess, the company, DSpace, and, and what you're doing?
1: Sure. Um, so DSpace uh, is a global company. We've, uh, we've been around uh, over 30 years now, um, and we've really become a trusted innovation leader um, to enable um, our mobility partners um, to make life safer, cleaner, easier, um, right, and we're really customer focused in our mission, um, and that mission really revolves around providing simulation and validation solutions um, to our, our customers in a number of markets. Um, one of our major market areas is, is automotive, but we also work, you know, in the aerospace market, providing solutions and medical devices, off-highway, agricultural, all kinds of things. Um, so we. We have engineering centers all over the globe. Like I mentioned, we have um, yeah, our headquarters in Germany. We have offices in the U.S., China, Japan, Korea. Um, so we really try to have a global footprint to be where our customers are to support them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and your your specific role, I guess. What what are you doing in, the, in of the the different <laughs> application segments that you mentioned? Is it just kind of the the, the on road mobility stuff that you're focused on, or, or where, where where is your focus overall?
1: Yeah, so I guess my, my role, um, so I'm with DSpace Inc. So we're we're based here in Michigan and we serve kind of our North American customers. Um, and so I'm the head of our autonomous driving and software engineering team here at DSpace Inc. Um, and so we're specifically working on the autonomous, um, the, the technologies around autonomous driving, right? That DSpace is working on um, in our group. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but really, um, DSpace is looking at all different parts of the the V-cycle for autonomous driving. And so our team, you know, works in all of those areas. Um, You know, we also have a team uh, or part of our team that's working on kind of the test automation um, piece of things and and data management that goes along with that.
0: And uh, could you explain? So you mentioned kind of present throughout the whole V-cycle. So Mm -hmm. I don't think we... Yeah. So for, for, for hopefully most people know that the V kind of product development cycle of you know, layers of abstraction and validation and stuff. But um, t- could you talk a bit further? So so with your customers, what what is it? And, and I know there's such a wide range of ways in which you're working with people. So I, I realize you got to pick, uh, pick and choose a little bit. But what is it you typically look like when you come in and you work with, say, an OEM or a tech company or, or someone who's developing automated driving solutions?
1: Sure. So um, you yeah, know, the easiest way to talk about the V cycle and where we fit in are just kind of to split it into the the left and right side of the V. Um, right? Traditionally, the left side of the V is is the development process, um, which includes the the right the prototyping, the development of your software, the algorithms, um, and all of that work. Um, so in that area, uh, we we have a long history of providing prototyping systems, prototyping hardware. Um, going back to the micro Autobox, um, and now we have some, some newer products um, in our Autobox family, uh, mainly the Auterra for for autonomous driving. So, so in that space, we're um, we're we're trying to provide that in-vehicle platform that our our customers, maybe like a, a tier one or two, um, or even an OEM, where they they don't have the final production hardware yet, but want to run their code in a real vehicle. Um, or they want to capture data um, are are kinds of the areas that we would engage with them on. uh, On that side of the V, we we also have some solutions that help them do the prototyping. uh, We have a system called RT maps that would help the customer design a perception algorithm. Um, It's a kind of block based workflow to help them do that a little quicker than working with straight C++ code in, in their solutions. And then on the, the right side of the V is usually the testing and validation. Um, you know starting at software level testing and, and moving all the way through through component level testing to integration testing. Um, and so we engage with the customers in a number of areas there. Our, our most traditional business is the, the hardware in the loop area, which a lot of people might know us from, um, but we also engage with software in the loop and um, even model in the loop testing. Where the you can test when you only have code, you can just test, um, you know, on a desktop PC or even now in the cloud. And, and so we have customers coming to us that that need help validating their solutions, right? They need the the interfaces to their code or their ECU that they want to test, um, and so we can help them design that testing process, design that testing system that they can test where they need to and when they need to
0: it might be interesting to take a little bit of a a tangent i don't want to go too deep here but so thinking about kind of the 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 base so i I think of software development in this space and i I was introduced to it i don't know maybe six seven years ago or whatever and i had no clue what we were talking about when we're talking mill hill sill and we're talking about various i mean the v cycle itself and then i don't various layers of software and and all that type of stuff and then over time I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but over time it's it's made sense. I've I don't I don't know kind of how that process has taken place and I still don't have a good way of describing it to someone who like say a, a new engineering <laughs> student or something like that who, you know, understands kind of conceptually what goes into writing code and writing software, but it's hard to really see what that app what it looks like, especially in such a complex application as the mobility industry. So I imagine you probably are more seasoned at trying to explain these types of things in, in layman's terms. So I, I'd really appreciate if you take a stab at this. Like, how do you explain, we're talking prototype code. We're talking about the need to be able to, I don't know, have some way of testing without having the actual physical hardware. And then yeah, mill, hill, cell, like why does all this stuff matter? Like what, why, why can't you like, why are these tools necessary?
1: <laughs> um, uh, a lot of the areas we talk about testing, right, are, are mill, still, and hill. Uh, mill is model in the loop, um, you know, still is software in the loop, and hill is hardware in the loop. So, um, yeah, starting at the why, maybe, um, and this is proven, you know, over decades of development, you know, as long as we've had ECUs and cars. Um, or, or my background being aerospace, as, as long as we've had LRUs and aircraft, um, this has always been true that the earlier you can find issues with your, with your code, the, the cheaper they are to fix. Mm-hmm. So if we do no testing until we get to the vehicle, right, we've developed our code, we've flashed it on controllers, we've installed those controllers in a vehicle right and then we find a bug right it's very expensive to fix that once you're that late of a stage so the goal of all of this testing technologies all of these different methods that we talk about first and foremost are to allow us to test earlier on in the process and the earlier we can test something the cheaper it is to fix so Stepping like the, the in vehicle test is like the end of the chain, right? The far upper right of R V. Um and ideally we find, you know, no issues there, right? You'll probably always find something. So we'll we'll say the goal is to minimize that. As we take a step back, we're we're talking about hardware in the loop is like the next step removed from that in vehicle. And that's still fairly late in the game, but we don't have it installed in a vehicle yet. So we're not Um, you know, putting other people at risk in our testing, you know, we still have a access to the controllers and it's easier to flash software. So hardware in the loop, we normally have the real ECU, the the real, um, compute hardware, whatever that is. And we're hooking up uh, another computer, a a hardware in the loop system to test it and to simulate the real inputs for all of our testing, Hmm. um, taking that one more step removed, right? Saying now we wanna test even before our final hardware is ready. This is where you get into software in the loop testing. And so there's um, there, there are virtual ECU standards on how you build these virtual ECUs. Um, and you can define the standard interfaces similar to like they'd have in the vehicle, right? You can virtualize something like a CAN bus so that you're still simulating a lot of what's going on in the real vehicle um, but you don't have the real hardware yet. So this allows us to test even earlier, right? We don't even have production hardware yet. Um, but you still need some concept of the virtual ECU architecture to do that. And so that's why you can take like another step back into, into model in the loop, right? Where you, you know, and sometimes this is just software code, right? And the model in the loop term, right, was from a era where we did a lot of controls uh, testing, right? And so it's, it was model-in-the-loop, you know, nowadays it might be unit tests on, um, on perception code or something like that, but it's still the same concept of we don't have the architecture of the ECU, we don't know anything about any of that, we just have this one function or this one piece of a model that we want to test. And right when you're talking about testing at that level, that's something that the customer or, you know, the developer is really sitting there as they're building their algorithm, as they're working on refining it, they can write these tests as they go. To make sure that it's meeting certain needs or requirements or things like that.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. It's, it's a helpful kind of overview to the baseline. Then the the next question is okay, how how do you actually do this effectively, right? So like how you have this, I don't know, this function and perception software, for example, right? The, the ability to make sense of what your various sensors are taking in and put together legitimate, uh, model of the world around you. And like, mm-hmm. can you, can you speak through, like, how, how do you actually test this at the multi the different layers? And then also feel free to bring in, I know you guys have a few dedicated solutions um, <laughs> somewhere in here as well. So, so feel free to talk about that yeah. too.
1: Yeah. So testing effectively is always a challenge, right? I think we, you know, as, as we talk about autonomous driving, um, you know autonomous vehicles and and even the the ADAP, right even the assist technologies right the 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 complexity grows and really it's growing exponentially as these these functions are are put into vehicles and so um kind of one of the areas we see um that needs some that we want to add some improvement to i should say is making sure those assets that we create throughout that testing flow are reusable, right? And so that's been one of kind of our goals and in, in what we're trying to bring to market. So we talked about all these different testing areas, right? If it's Hill or Sill or Mill, and, um, you know, there's obviously a big focus on cloud and you can bring software in the loop or model in the loop testing to the cloud, But reusing those tests in all those different areas is really key to being effective in our testing, right? If I have a developer creating a test case early on to check that his code's performing correctly, I want to be able to run that same test on the hill later on if I want to. So having kind of these standard interfaces, standard definitions for how those tests are defined is really critical um, in the you know, architecture that you de- decide on for your testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that that's something where we're trying to, you know, y- you mentioned what DSpace is working on, um, you know, we're working on an offering called Simfera, right? And this is our kind of cloud-based scalable solution for simulation. Um, and so our customers want to use that for validating these algorithms in all of those testing methodologies right they want to create a scenario they want to run it early on you know while they're developing code in their pipelines but then they also want to use that same interface that same testing on a hill later on to validate what is happening um how you go about that right I think we'll touch on some of the V and SOTIF aspects Mm -hmm. it's complicated right and you have a lot of different areas that you need to cover. Some of it is, you know, the the known risk, right? The requirements-based testing, right? The system shall do this, it shall do that. You need to bring in tools that can find test cases that you don't know about, right? Um, you, you need to be able to develop those, maybe algorithmically, right? You know, where you nobody can think about these cases, but a computer kind of iterate on things. Um, you also have a piece of that of bringing in real-world data, right? You know, simulation, and the creativity to develop that simulation only covers so much. So, having data from the real world and all the crazy things that people do on our roadways um, to get more testing, and, and so it's really going to be a, a a coverage of a little bit of everything to get there. I think at the end.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't know if I'll have a, a neat question here necessarily, but thinking about like how so ultimately you're you're serving as an enabler for these companies who are developing the given product, right? So you're not going out and developing an autonomous driving system. You're not going to be developing a vehicle that is driven by some type of an autonomous or automated driving system. You're, you're an enabler for those companies that are, are developing this. And how, I guess the, one of the questions that I I struggle with and I come back to frequently, like how do you actually put together the most effective and efficient case for proving that a system is ready to go go to market all right so you you mentioned yeah there's certain things you get more expensive Mm -hmm. as you get up up the layer and once you get into the vehicle it's the most expensive place to to uh execute or fix errors that come up so it's great if you can find Mm -hmm. stuff earlier but at the same time you're wasting a ton of money if you're doing more simulation than you need to and also if you can't actually trust that simulation if like if Mm -hmm. if you go through all these simulation modes and you still have stuff that's peeping through and you're not actually, you know, getting into the, you're not confident in the data that's coming out, then that's not very effective either. So like how, how do you think about this approach of like, how how can a company actually think about defining what's the most effective, the most efficient, the optimal way to validate and develop their software throughout the entire product cycle?
1: Yeah, I think, um, the work of it is very difficult, but I think the frameworks of that already exist, right? And we have we have things like ISO 26262 that talk about that those frameworks and that process for really diligently walking through and making sure that our systems are safe, right? We we have Sotif. Um, you know the the aviation community has DO one seventy eight, um, right? And and these processes exist, and these frameworks exist where you you walk through and you and you build these safety trees, right? These fault trees, and you um, you know really figure out everything as much as possible that can go wrong. Um, that that's a very thought invoking process, right? It's very. Time intensive um, and so you want to be able to kind of give companies the tools they need where as they go through that process, uh, they, they can document, they can store that, they can link all of that information together, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is very, um, it, it's very complicated and it takes a lot of people a lot of time to do that. I don't think there is any shortcut. To make sh- to try to test these things quickly, um, it does take a lot of test cases, right? It does take um, a lot of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds giving input on what those test cases are, and and creating them, and you know coming up with different scenarios that could happen. Um, but but those frameworks exist in our community, right? We've been doing them for a long time. I mean, I think these these discussions were had when we. You know started electrifying vehicles in the first place with controllers and with computers that did all sorts of things um you know again aer- airplanes fly all over the skies every day mostly without people you know in the loop for for a vast majority of the flight um and they're very safe uh, especially compared to um compared to vehicles and that's just due to that really rigorous approach um, to to testing and to developing those test
0: cases. Yeah, one of the within this like the the functional safety framework framework, one of the things that's Mm -hmm. most fascinating to me is getting beyond and someone in the industry probably thinks of this as obvious, but getting beyond the the obvious of like Mm -hmm. we have these requirements or we have these test cases that have been fed from the requirements that were developed as this product was was being developed. And look, we've checked the box. We've tested all these things. But then you have to ask the ex- extra questions. Of, okay, like you said, what do we miss? What what didn't we yeah. plan for? And then also all these tools that we've, like, what assumptions, what things are we relying on that also could go wrong? And how how are we confident that we built a culture in which yeah. <laughs> there's not some type of uh, systematic yeah. gap? That's like, so like it's, you're asking questions beyond just the obvious of, look I have the spreadsheet that has all these things I check well that's yeah. that I, I guess I'm not explaining that properly because ultimately you end up with a spreadsheet that includes all these other things as well but I, I don't know how, how do you think about this yeah. situation
1: yeah I think you I think you touched on it right it, it's developing a culture within within the company to focus on safety um you know and really that being a driving factor and um you know that there are, technologies being developed that enable um more creative test case creation right there's a lot being done in the the open scenario environment um, especially open scenario 2.0 where you can create or have a system or an algorithm create test cases that you didn't think of um and and so i think that's a very interesting area that that's being explored. Right. And so, you know, there are a number of companies taking a look at that to help add to that list of test cases, but it's really on companies to, to engage with those um, different vendors, right. Different suppliers, different thought processes. Um, And that's how you really limit those unknown risks. And, um, you know, you you can also limit that, and I think we've seen this with um, the the autonomous space lately. Is focusing on different domains, right? One of the variables in all of this is what domains are you driving in? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, just a a car that can literally go anywhere, anytime. That's a very open, you know, odd, if you will. Um, you know, limiting those domains to just highway to just the university campus or or something like that. It allows you to to limit those variables and, um, you know, helps with that process. And so kind of this little slower rollout or very focused rollout of these technologies are also helping, um, you know, make it more straightforward to develop the testing needed.
0: Yeah, and t- taking, a, taking a little bit of a different angle here, talking about, so what what these spaces are providing, and you have off-the-shelf, so, mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll talk about some Faro, I'll talk about Altera, you touched on some fair a bit, but um, what what does an ideal interaction with a a potential customer look like to you? Right, so you have you have these off the shelf stuff, and they can go on your website, and there's kind of a a laundry list of hey, let's pick these tools that DSpace have. But, uh, but based, I mean, in part based on some of the discussion we're having, like there is so much that goes into actually the planning and the strategy about how to actually utilize tools correctly and stuff so so I imagine you're not just hoping to sit back and take orders and, and move on so what what in okay. your ideal world like when, it, when it's working the best what does that look like with a customer with that engagement what does that look like
1: uh, so the best engagement with a customer is always when we can treat it more as a partnership than a customer relationship you know area right where we provide our, our engineers our our staff provides a knowledge about testing a knowledge about simulation tools um, right that that's our full-time job our customers are focused on developing a perception algorithm right or developing a new sensor technology and so we really view it and I think we have the best results when we all view it as right we we're, we're both bringing something to this table here, right we're, we're trying to you know help them with with that testing with that validation piece. Um, and and they're open to that because that's you know not what they're focused on right they want to spend their time focused on developing the the you know the, the vehicle of the future right that, and we're there to help supplement that with the things that we we know how to do best.
0: And how? And I know this is a tough question, but how, how do you get to that point, right? Because, I mean, often you, especially someone who thinks transactionally and is in purchasing, and t- like, there, there's certain people who just have a blinder and you probably move on and you're just never going to get to the partnership <laughs> spot with that. But assuming that someone hasn't made the firm decision that they like to keep every supplier at arm's length, like, well, oh, yeah. where have you had success in building that more collaborative partnership relationship? It's-
1: so it's an it's an interesting question, right? I mean, we try, especially in our team, to not think of things as transactionally as as they could be, right? I know it, the traditional supplier relationship is very transactional, um, but th- this is very much a, a collaborative environment, and that's um, it, it. Really leads to more success down the way, and with the nature of our company and and. our experience in the industry gives us some uh, ability to you know work in the best environments that we can Uh, you know if if we have you know a customer a tier or an oem that's not as interested in that model or that approach you know they're they they can try their way for for a while Um, Mm -hmm. you know and we very typically have people that you know, want to give it a try and, and want to work on things, and then come back and um, you know re-engage with us um, li- later on down the road. And so, you know, that that's a um, it's a privilege we have, and you know, we're, we're always wanting to work um, with those companies as, as they go down that path. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, it, it's an interesting environment, certainly, um, and but.
0: It's one of the things, I mean, so one of my engineering services background, the now leading Edison, we're, we're doing low volume contract manufacturing. But like, it's it's so frustrating in that like, so we similarly from a partnership perspective, it works so much better when we have all the engineers at the table and we're working together about mm-hmm. what should this look like and how can we come together and define an optimal approach, not just throw something over the wall and say, hey, guys, build this. And the tough thing is like, you Cause I I understand why there's kind of this gut of no suppliers always say partnership, right. And they don't.
1: Yeah.
0: Or, or get more, more serious. I I understand kind of the hesitation, but like you want to, you want to just point and be like, "Look, here's this is working so much better with the company that actually embraces this partnership, and they're saving so much money in the long run because it's more effective and there's less issues on the back end." Like, if you could just zoom out and <laughs> think about this from a kind of a higher level perspective, you'd see that this is the right approach. But like, it's 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 a hard sell at times to get people to, and maybe those are just aren't the right people that you want to work with, or maybe there's just a longer, yeah. more effort or more. More impetus, there's, there's more kind of burden on the company, DSpace, in the situation to come in and prove the value that you can offer.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think, um, yeah. you know, we try as best we can to talk with, with, you know, com- companies about that, um, you know, and and we try to share, and this is, you know, one of our philosophies, and you know, supporting the standards, supporting. Um, you know, open APIs with all of our tooling, where we're, we're really trying to show, look, we're not trying to lock you in, right? You know, I know some suppliers will talk about partnerships and and use it as a lock in approach, but that's not what we're trying to do, mm-hmm. right? If if, if you want to work with us for a year and partner with us, and then completely leave, everything is in open format, where you can take things and go, um, you know, so that trying to communicate that way with customers. Um, you know, also part of it that helps me, right? I, I worked on the other side of this, right? I I, I worked in aerospace. I was a customer. I, you know, I was a customer of other hardware solution companies. I was a customer of D-Spaces, right? And there is that tendency for the customer to, right? I knew best, right? I, I, and, you know, w- when I was an engineer working in, as a validation engineer in a Hill Lab, I, I knew more than all of the suppliers out there, right? And until you realize that you don't and um, you know that's a journey for everybody and that's you know just as we talk to customers and um, you know that's just getting our name out there sharing the success stories right we really try to talk about like you said those times where it works well um, you know we try to write about it and and share it and and show as much as we can um, to, to show that to other people.
0: Yeah. And I guess further going down the, the version here. So it's what, what personally drew you towards this? Right. So this, I don't know, there's, there's something that, that you're not working at one of the OEMs. You're not working at one of the, like the name brands that you're uh, right. right that, you, that your mom knew about before you started the <laughs> the company. So like <laughs> there, there's something about kind of working in, in the background that, uh, I don't know, there's this pros and cons. What, what personally for you, uh, and not I mean again, not that dspace is a very well known global brand, and it's it's especially for people in the industry very highly respected. so it's not like you're working for an obscure company somewhere, but like what uh, <laughs> yeah, what led you to want to go into this career and to be doing this work?
1: uh yeah, and as well known as we may be, I still had to explain to my mom and dad what d space was when I took the job yeah. um so but probably uh, still have no yes, yeah, still... yes,
0: even if. Well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most of the time now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I touched on it briefly, right? My background was was aviation, and i and I quickly got into testing, right? And um you know, just the the testing mindset of checking things and and making sure they're safe um, was, um you know, something I got into right out of college. I did flight test engineering um and then um, you know, changed uh, companies and went to to one and did more lab-based testing and it was always a very interesting side of things to me in my brain just being able to look at a look at a system and and decompose it into its parts and you know try to you know in a sense try to break it um, but really to try to make sure that it's safer um mm-hmm. and so when I was kind of looking at, at making another career move, um, Dspace is is unique in that space, um, right? We we obviously have competitors um, in in all of the areas that we work in, but I, I felt like Dspace was um, was a unique place, you know, in the way it's run, right? We're, we're still a family-run company, um, and and we can be really thoughtful about the the tools that we're building, the the technologies that we develop. Um, and again, that that kind of partnership and that really our our goal is to see our customers succeed. Um, and, and you can tell that when you talk to any of the leadership, um, you know at, at DSpace globally, they really all feel that. And so that was really what brought me here to DSpace. Um, you know, because because I do think that they they really do have something unique uh, to offer there.
0: Yeah, cool. And and I I know we talked a lot about kind of. Why and how and how this stuff goes in in the partnership of coming in and working with customers. I'd also be interesting to dig a little deeper into okay, what are actually the tools in the tool belt and what what and what does this yeah. look like? So so again, we, we mentioned <laughs> simfera Could you could you introduce? Uh, I know you touched on it a little bit, but in, introduce kind of what what are you doing here? What's what's the solution? How is this incorporated for your your customers?
1: Yeah, so simfera is our. Um... Like I mentioned, it's, so it's a cloud-based, um, scalable solution um, for simulation and validation. Um, it, it's focused on the validation of autonomous driving functions. Today, um, we we have both simulation and data replay testing capabilities. Um, its goal, you know, we kind of have these three main pillars when we think about simfera We wanted to provide to the the testing uh, community, right? This Guided workflows to make using it very straightforward and simple. Um, we really wanted a high level of usability, and we wanted platform independence. I wanted customers to run it where they wanted to. So, so we built this. Um, we built this new system, right? So it's all web browser. Um, we built it using a lot of the core technologies, though that have we've kind of been working on for the last 20 years in terms of our simulation tools. So um, the the automotive simulation models that we've spent years refining that are, you know, deterministic and high fidelity vehicle models. And now you can run those, you know, thousands at a time in, in a cloud environment. Right, so it's, um, it, it's all Kubernetes and Docker based, it's all, you know, you can run it on Azure, on AWS, on Google Cloud, on on premises. Um, and so it's really that next step in in simulation for for dSpace and being able to offer that additional scalability in terms of testing, um, but also like we mentioned earlier, that ability to bring that back and use that same interface, that same um, test cases, and and connect Simfera to your hardware in the loop system, right? When you're doing hill testing later on, um, and so that's a kind of a quick overview of Simfera. Um, right. It, it integrates a lot of what we've done in the past with test and data management with physics-based sensors. Um, and again, with like the automotive simulation models uh, that we've been working on for years.
0: And what is the change that someone would experience you utilize? You, so, I mean, right. Simulation is taking place before you guys develop all of this. There, there is mm-hmm. some process in place for how things are getting validated and there's verifications taking place, but like how what what's the change? What what's the real kind of impact that someone will see kind of by introducing your approach, this new approach?
1: Yeah, so uh, in in previous uh, use cases, you could run our simulation right on your on your laptop, right? You could run it on our Hill system. Um, this really pulls that off of your um, your computer, if you will, and the the first change is just the scalability right um once you're in a cloud environment you can run things a lot faster so i can run a thousand cases in parallel if if i want to right and so getting results quicker right we talked about testing and the turnaround and testing earlier so synfera allows us to connect um, our testing environment with the uh, development environment that's being used so many customers will do something like a nightly build, right? Whatever the latest version of their code is, do a nightly build or a weekly build. Part of that pipeline can now be running a suite of regression tests in Simfera to see, um, you know, are, are more tests passing or or things failing, right? Did, did I break something when I tried to fix something else, right? And so really, like we said, bringing that testing earlier on um, and it allows it to really be um, headless for the developer, right? You might have some a, a group of people who are uh, very thoughtful about their test development, and they can develop scenarios and tests. And the developers can kind of just take advantage of those by having this integrated in their pipeline and getting those results daily or weekly um, as part of a um, a part of that build process, right? You can also then have it integrated into your deployment process, right? A lot of customers are looking at over-the-air updates now, right, as they're releasing new functions, you know, so as you build a new release branch, you can have a suite of some FARA test cases designed to run before that branch is allowed to merge, right, it's, you know, <laughs> a little developer-y, but, right, you can do a pull request to say, merge my feature and release it. Before that pull request can be approved, somebody has decided that these 2,500 test cases in simfera must pass. And so it doesn't even allow it to proceed until that that happens. Um, so it, it kind of advances those capabilities and the ways to integrate testing into a workflow where you couldn't before, right? If it was manual or just on one computer, right? Or if it was just a couple of desktop PCs, it would take, you know, days and days to test. but. With the the power of the cloud, we can get that done in, in an hour.
0: And with the automotive, the big automotive OEMs, I assume are our core customer base. But like, well, who else outside of that are you are you working with?
1: Yeah, so all all of the major OEMs, you know, we work with in some in some manner already. Um, the the tier ones and twos are also very interested in in these technologies, and we work with a number of them already. Um, we talked about the V cycle, right? The OEMs are usually more inter- interested in integration level testing, where we have a lot of components. Um, Simvera is prime for the suppliers too, where you just have one virtual ECU under test, or even one function under test that you're working with. Um, you know, we've even worked with a number of tier twos, more sensor providers who are developing their sensor. Right? They want to run their sensor through a certain simulation to see how it behaves. And so they can virtualize some of the code that's running on their you know lidar sensor or their radar sensor to see how it performs in different environments um so the the, the high fidelity simulation really enables that use cases as well
0: and is it all on road
1: no nope. um so simfera is built on our um, automotive simulation uh tool chain um and that um that is incredibly flexible we've done a number of off highway applications um you know people can you know check out our website we've um you know got some examples of going through mining trucks or you know different off-road terrains um, you know we've done work with some military vehicles and, and doing off-road type testing for that um, and we also have customers that work with it in the agricultural environment as well
0: and this is a very basic question but how do you go about so the, where you, you talked about all the different features and the way in which this can be used and services development. Like again, this is basically like a, how do you go about actually figuring out? Okay, what are the key, what are the key things that we wanted to get included in this iteration? Right, because there's always infinite requests of yeah, this would be nice to have. This would yeah. be nice to have, and you also have many different layers. I mean, you you mentioned here you got the big o- automotive OEMs and also some off road, but you have multiple layers of suppliers even within a big company, you have the engineers, the team lead, the manager, the like everyone has their own things that they care about. And yeah. do you ever you feel for like what what actually goes in or went into figuring out, okay, what's the right package to put together here? And where are the things that we're probably going to have to leave out for a future iteration or never?
1: Yeah, so we, we did a lot of work and uh, obviously we, we had a strong background in the simulation and testing and so... We we're able to use a lot of that experience, but then talk to a couple lead customers initially about what was like a minimum viable product for Simvara, right? What was the 1.0, if you will? Um, and, and so we were able to bring that to, to market, uh, uh, you know, almost two years ago now. Um, but I think the the big piece of that is um, we just wanted to provide this platform as a starting point. Right, that that could be extended and scaled, you know, with with features and with development. Um, and so we built this Symphera with uh, an API first approach. So all the all the underpinnings, all the technologies are really accessible via API, and kind of the the creation of like the web front end and the UI are all built on those APIs. And so we can extend it even internally for a customer project as we go. Um, but one of the big things that we did as DSpace to even bring simfera to market was really change the way how we do software development, right? Anybody who knows DSpace from hardware in the loop days uh, would know our release cycle, right? We have an A release and a B release you every six months, right? You you have a new big version of DSpace with a DVD of all our installers. Um, you know, Symfara is not developed that way, and, and it couldn't be, right? So. You know, when we talk about what our customers need, we needed to be more flexible, and so we we adopted the 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 safe uh, approach, which is scaled agile framework, um, which which some people might have heard of, and and this is really an extended version of the agile development process um, that helps us communicate and collaborate across numerous agile teams. Obviously, some Ferris. Very big and complex, and so there's a number of agile teams working on that. And so we have um, we we adopted that at DSpace, and that was a, a big change in our workflow for those teams. Um, but it's you know been successful now, and we're we're able to come out. We do monthly releases of Simfera. So obviously, we have some ability based on our view of the market to say we need this feature or that feature in Simfera. Um, based on you know who we're talking to, but then we can also take our customer feedback a lot um, and integrate that a lot more quickly, right? We can you know say customer A wants something or really needs a feature, we can integrate it and you know if if we're able to really release that relatively fast for that customer and deploy it to them, even if it's just putting it on the back end mm-hmm. and having it via API access, maybe the UI catches up in the next release or they can build their own, you know, scripts to interface with it in the short term. So that whole process um, has really allowed us to be a lot more responsive to, to the needs of our customers when maybe the, the standard product doesn't have what you need today.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about the importance of, I mean, great agile software development has been in, various forms for for some time now and it seems to continue to be growing but like it's important that you have tools that are optimized for that or that support that level of of development to actually take the, the best advantage of it so it sounds like you guys had to kind of i maybe not be forced to but like as a if you really want to put something together that supports this way of development by your customer like you have to adopt that agile approach internally as well is that roughly accurate yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right, and you, um, it it really, there are a lot of benefits to that approach, right, and you see it in the creation of um, the the different Agile methods that uh, the teams are using, developing perception algorithms, you know, everybody in the industry that's using it for their production code development, Um, but it also helps us, you know, develop tools quicker and more efficiently. I think it also helps us, in a way, relate to our customers more, right? You know, we we are using a CICD tool chain just like our customers are now, right? We, we're we using all of these same tools of, of Git repos and, you know, deployment pipelines and, and continuous integration. Um, and so when we, sure, we're developing some FERA with those, right? Or we're developing our simulation environment with those and our customer might be, Developing a adaptive cruise control algorithm, but now we're using all the same tools and speaking Mm -hmm. the the same language and so it it has really allowed us to um, better understand the challenges that our customers are going through. And so when again, when we talk about like partnerships and things, right, we're we're really able to relate to what our customers are working on. I think in a way that, um, you know, hasn't Mm -hmm. always been the case.
0: And how about maybe last question here, the uh, ISO 26262 certification. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean in this? So we talked a little bit about functional safety, but what does that mean in this context for Simfera to be certified and what does that process look like?
1: Yeah, so um, the Simfera was certified for ISO 26262. Um, we worked with uh, Tupsood, um to to do that. Um, the, the short answer of what it means, right, any, any vehicle manufacturer or supplier, that's developing their own, you know, code or system, you know, is going to go through an ISO qualification of their own, um, right? Because they have their whole development process and, and tool chain by providing some fair with a qualification already, the the customer can exclude that from their certification efforts, right? So it really reduces the burden on the customer, right? Because any, any manufacturer or supplier going through that process is going to have to qualify all the tools they use um, as part of that process. So by doing this our, ourselves, mm-hmm. and we can provide them right the certificate and the supporting information, they don't have to go through that again. Um, so it, it's really critical for for them going through that functional safety process, and it saves them a lot of time and effort, right, because now they don't have to do it and it's traditionally very hard to do that with an external tool that you don't know all the inner workings of anyways. So um, that's the big thing. The the other really neat thing we're working on with the tube there is um, doing that for a safe, agile development process, right? So previously we've done ISO certifications before for our tools, right? It's a lot of work. You do all this paperwork, you work, you know, you certify it, you get you know a certificate back, and that certificate's only good for that release. And so you do the next release and you have to redo all of that. Well, I just said Simfera is released monthly. Can't do all that of that work every month. You know, you you'd always be behind. So we're working with the two on a process to basically enable continuous certification of the software, right? By kind of certifying in a sense our our agile development process that safe process that the quality checks the quality gates that we have in there so that if version you know 23.1 was certified and we follow this process that's been certified version 23.2 will be certified as well
0: yeah it's cool It makes makes sense um uh, mm-hmm. quickly uh, we're not gonna have time to go too deep here but you mentioned microautobox and i think that was how i was first introduced to to dspace back in the day of you know those, those things driving around in every prototype and mule mule vehicle even for a bunch of powertrain and propulsion system level stuff that we were doing at the time but uh, what what i guess what is altera and what how how is it used just like kind of what's the what's the elevator pitch there
1: <laughs> so yeah altera is um kind of the latest version of the the autobox family um, and it's designed for this data driven development, um, methodology that, that we, we kind of talk about. Um, so it is the core member, um, of the Atera autobox family of products. Um, it's an in-vehicle platform, um, and it is really a, a version of the micro autobox, if you will, that's designed from the ground up for, um, autonomous vehicle development. Um, it, it can be used both for in-vehicle data logging, um, but as well as perception prototyping systems. Um, and so it can be you know, arranged with I.O. boards where you're logging camera, LIDAR, you know, radar data, as well as vehicle bus data at really high bandwidths, right? So that was one of the, the big things that we saw on the market was data loggers couldn't keep up with level three, level four, level five systems requirements. Hmm. So... That's where we brought AuterA to market, Um, but we also have a lot of people using it for prototyping and things. Um, You know, most recently CES just concluded a couple weeks ago. um, The Indie Autonomous Challenge was there, or IAC, Um, and so the students are you know racing um, cars on on the track, which was very exciting. AuterA is the autonomous brain of those race cars, so they're perception algorithms are running on the DSpace Altera system um, in those vehicles um, and, and doing what they need to do to um, accomplish their objectives on the racetrack. So it's really a kind of a, a joint platform that that provides a lot of different functionality um, for in-vehicle uses um, for our customers that are doing different uh, autonomous driving developments.
0: Yeah, it's cool, and I was disappointed. I, I flew out before the uh, India Autonomous Challenge, but I heard heard good things. Cool, uh, cool setup and situation there. And it's, it's cool that you guys have the the brains of those vehicles.
1: Yeah, for for anyone interested, it's uh, I think they posted all their stuff on YouTube. It's it's a great uh, great thing to watch. Um, so they're using it, and also um, we're we're a sponsor of the Eco Car Competition, and so they'll be using Atera's uh, this year as well. Um, or in this uh, it's a four-year uh, competition but they'll be using Athera's for this this round as well
0: cool and I, I didn't uh, so first of all we really really appreciate you you taking the time and uh, I don't know if I'm all over the place with, with questions here but uh, <laughs> it's been great getting your your input on I don't know, this this whole process of validation and prototyping and verification for in automated vehicles and I I don't know I've enjoyed it. hopefully that no one's listening here is uh, yeah, hopefully it wasn't too deep in the weeds, but I think a good, good discussion really appreciate your time. Um, maybe last last question I, I had, and then we'll wrap up. but um I, I asked you about kind of the transition personally into this field and what what was interesting or why that was interesting for you. Can you think back on kind of or like what given your role now you know leading this function or whatever whatever you, um, exactly how you define it within D space. like what goes into doing that well and can you think of any any specific whether it's resources whether it's a book or books or whatever that have had a big impact on you through the years that have helped kind of prepare you for this
1: um sure so i think one of my favorite books you know of all time for for business and and stuff was uh was reading the good to great um, by Jim Collins what probably 20 years ago now um,
0: yeah.
1: was the, the first time I read that but it, there's a lot in that book obviously but one of the things that always stuck with me was just this idea that he talks about of just focusing on what you're good at and where you're adding value um, both at a company level but also right at a personal level too and um, yeah you know there, there's only so many hours in the day only so many you know weeks in the year and so it, it's something we try to work on you know within my team here is where are we really able to do something better than anybody else right and and where are we just you know you know where, yeah. where's the extra and and so what what we can focus on so that that's really kind of been for for me something I've worked on with our group and with our you know personally too right when you know, managing a team, what, what, what am I offering to the group and, you know, focusing on that, um, you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into um, any of this stuff. And so, um, you know, just, just trying to be human and, you know, relate to people, everybody's got, um, you know, their their own life going on. And I I think that, uh, you know, relating to people at that level is is a lot better uh, as well.
0: Yeah, but both your own team and externally, like you, like you, you said, you know, yeah. we we don't deal with the uh, abstract big companies. We deal with a bunch of people who happen to be working for yeah. those companies. <laughs> yep, yeah,
1: you're, you're you're not talking to DSpace as an abstract entity. You're talking to to Ben or you know or, or a yeah. member of my team one on one, and so you know that that relationship uh, that relationship and and developing those is important.
0: Cool. Well. I think that's a good place to, to leave it, Ben. Like I said, we really appreciate the the time and, and the education here. It's it's great hearing what you guys are doing. Um, yeah. I'll definitely be following along and uh, wish, wish you the best of luck.
1: Yeah. Great. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Look forward to listening to this and more.
0: Thanks. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ben Hager. So what stands out? A few things for me. So first... Just a alignment between what Ben is doing at DSpace and really what, what I've done in my career. So in the engineering services space at FEV before, and then now certainly at Edison, where we are a contract manufacturing partner for the companies, introducing the innovative technology of, of tomorrow, including assisted autonomous vehicles. I've lived in this support space, and intentionally so, because I, I enjoy this space of, you know, not necessarily being the front and center consumer-facing Organization, but providing the support in the back end to allow those companies to do what they do. I think of it as an enabler. And I certainly see DSpace and Ben's role there. So I I really enjoy and enjoyed getting his thoughts on how they've built this suite of products and services and really the model with which they're supporting their customers. To do it in the most efficient manner. Obviously, DSpace has to make money. They have an organ. They're a company. They have their own business objectives. But ultimately, what they need to do is solve their customers' problems. And for them, that that often means how can they provide some way to help these AV companies, the OEMs, the tier one companies, introduce quickly, you know, prototype, and then on the back end validate at various levels in the most effective and most efficient way possible these systems and uh I, yeah i really enjoyed the discussion probably got into the weeds there if you're not directly in the space so hopefully you, you had some interest there but I, I enjoyed enjoyed this discussion um definitely yeah ben's an expert here and uh, fun fun getting his thoughts so leave it there for now thank you as always for listening i really appreciate it and as always more to come next week thank you for listening to the future mobility podcast brought to you by edison manufacturing and engineering you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast.